We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friend at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. We came very close to a catastrophic breakdown of our democratic accountability. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. Right now, we're kind of stuck in this cycle where every summer we're hearing another story about a big fire and a town burning down. It's still extremely difficult to hold government agencies accountable for abuses that take place in the name of national security. This is KCBS In-Depth. For decades, his identity remained a mystery. The man who came to be known as the Golden State Killer, responsible for a string of brutal rapes and murders that terrorized communities throughout California during the 70s and 80s. But then, in 2018, investigators using cutting-edge genetic techniques finally managed to track him down and put him away. You've probably heard the story by now. The case has been front-page news for years, of course, but one thing that didn't make it into the newspapers the terrible toll that this case took on those who solved it. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, broadcasting throughout the Bay Area and streaming on the Odyssey app. I'm Keith Menconi, and today we're going to hear the story behind the story of what it took to solve one of the most notorious cold cases of all time. And we'll be hearing it straight from the source. Our guest this half hour is Paul Holes, a retired cold case investigator who played a key role in the Golden State Killer case, as well as many others, during his 27 years working in law enforcement for Contra Costa County. Holes has written about his experience in a new memoir called Unmasked, My Life Solving America's Cold Cases, and he joins us now. Paul Holes, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. How's it going? It's going well. Glad to have you. Great. So uh, your book, of course, lays out the investigation, you know, uh, talking about the nuts and bolts of how this case was cracked. But uh, it also really deals with the personal side of what investigations like this mean to the people who carry them out and also the serious toll that this work can take. You know, it's it's a lot of hours and uh, you and your fellow investigators are exposed to a lot of brutality in the process. So. Uh, I think even for news junkies who follow these cases closely, it's a it's a side of law enforcement work that we don't often see. Uh, wondering, to start us off, if uh, part of your motivation in writing this book is to bridge some of that gap. Yeah, in fact, that ultimately uh, has become my primary motivation. You know, when I first mm-hmm. started writing the book, I thought the public, you know, really wanted to know, you know, have that deep dive about the investigation into the Golden State Killer. But as I was writing and and brought on collaborators, uh, most notably Robin, who helped me write the book, and then the publisher, you know, in discussions about my career and then 
me just really struggling to get through talking about the other cases uh, and and in my personal life, um, it became apparent that it was important to portray, you know, what working these cases has had on myself and, and on other professionals. And so it really changed from being a very case centric memoir, uh, which it, there's still lots of information about the Golden State Killer case, uh, information never before made public, as well as other cases in the Bay Area that I've been involved with. But it really was an exposure of, of me, which was hard to do because I'm very, very private. And this now has become somewhat of a mission for me is just to make it known that people like myself and other professionals, people that are in jobs that uh, the public may not even consider, like crime scene investigation, death investigators, dispatchers, you know, they are exposed to, you know, what I'm now calling real crime. You know, there is the true crime genre, and I very much uh, on the public side am, am now a personality in the true crime genre. Uh, but there's uh, a segment of us uh, that have worked this real crime. And uh, in order to work these types of cases, I have found out that I have sacrificed aspects of who I am, and I didn't even realize it until after I retired. And I know there's others out there that are experiencing the same psychological and emotional difficulties that, that I have experienced. Yeah, yeah. An important issue to highlight, uh, certainly. Um, let's actually dig into the case a little bit more before we get to some of those uh, issues um, and just to set the stage a little bit, because uh, for anybody who doesn't know who you are, uh, you are somebody whose career has spanned a lot of really important cases here in the Bay Area. You contributed, in addition to the Golden State Killer case, to uh, the uh, case of Lacey Peterson's murder, uh, also to uh, J.C. Dugard's kidnapping. Uh, but the Golden State Killer case itself, that's something that really you began to focus on early on in your career, going all the way back to the mid-90s, actually before he was even known as the Golden State Killer. Tell us a little bit about how you came to be so focused on this one case. Yeah, you know, th it was really a, a matter of uh, serendipity, if you will. I was had been employed as a civilian forensic scientist with the Contra Costa County Sheriff's Crime Lab and then had been promoted, which at that time was considered a promotion, to a deputy sheriff criminalist, which uh, required me to go to the police academy. And and then when I got back to the lab, uh, when I was training and, and during some downtime, I was consuming, you know, all the information that was in this amazing library and there was this old file cabinet that nobody ever seemed to go to or open up, and it was completely unlabeled as to what it contained. And then I just said, well, I wonder what's in there. And then I opened up the bottom drawer, and it was a, a whole bunch of manila uh, file folders that were labeled with a red EAR and then a lab number after that. And then once I started reading what was contained in these manila folders, it was obvious that this was a... Uh, a, a series of rapes and that the uh, the rapist uh, had been attacking in the East Bay, you know, between uh, October of 78 to July of 79. And he was known as the East Area Rapist. And very quickly, I discerned that he had come from the Sacramento area and had previously bounced around to Central Valley 
Modesto Stockton area as well as up into Davis before he, he, he was in the East Bay. But then he just disappeared. And it was an unsolved case. And I thought, you know, I, I was fascinated with serial predators and cold cases very early on in my career. And I thought, yeah, I wonder if I can, you know, try to figure out who this is, even though, you know, it, it was pat, considered past statute of limitations. And I was really just doing it as a hobby. And I that was in 1994. And I spent 24 years of my life working that case off and on. Right. And uh there really is an element, I think we could use this word obsession, uh, that goes into this. Uh, it really does become this all-consuming pursuit for you. Uh, speaking, by the way, for anybody just joining us to Paul Holes, uh, talking about his new book, Unmasked, My Life Solving America's Cold Cases. And we're talking about one of those biggest cold cases right now, the unmasking of the Golden State Killer, who uh, we now know is Joseph D'Angelo. Uh, but uh, going back to your role in this, uh, again... You knew him at that time in the 90s as the East Area uh, rapist. He wasn't even connected to killings that had taken place elsewhere uh, in California. Other jurisdictions thought that they were dealing with a separate predator. Uh, but going back to, you mentioned, you know, really uh, your, your start in law enforcement is in lab work. Uh, you uh, advanced uh, some genetics um, uh, research that helped us make those connections. Yeah, you know, I ended up, uh, you know, I was assigned to the serology unit, and we had this fledgling DNA program back in, you know, the 94, 95 timeframe. And that's when I thought, well, I wonder if this, this newfangled DNA technology could help solve this East Area Rapist case. And, and eventually in 1997, uh, I ended up developing DNA profiles from three of the Contra Costa County cases. And they it all matched to the same guy. And I talked to a lieutenant from Contra Costa County at the time, Larry Crompton, who was on the original Contra Costa County East Area Rapist Task Force back in the 70s. And, you know, my goal was, hey, you know, if you, if you have some top suspects, I'll go grab DNA from them and see if I can match them to this DNA profile. And he was like, Paul, we eliminated our top suspects and we just don't have a clue as to who this guy is but we thought he may have gone down to santa barbara so i ended up getting off the phone with lieutenant crompton and i called up santa barbara uh was somewhat stonewalled surprisingly but they at least turned me on to uh irvine pd they said oh they've got some sort of serial killer thing going on and they have the dna you might want to talk to them and I talked to a Larry Montgomery in Irvine, and he said, yes, you know, we have two cases uh, in Irvine uh, back in the 80s, um, and a single woman bludgeoned to death in their bed. They're, they're, they're linked by DNA, and Orange County Sheriff's Crime Lab uh, has done the work, and a DNA analyst by the name of Mary Hong has done it. So I spoke with Mary Hong, and... Uh, she had a different DNA technology than what we were doing, but we did have one DNA technology that overlapped and it was the same type, but it was just like, you know, it, you know, two, two people sharing the blood type A. There's lots of people out there that had this DNA profile, this DNA marker. And uh, four years later, once kind of forensic standardized on the current DNA technology, uh, I had now promoted to a supervisor position, and I assigned a DNA analyst to redo the work that I had initially done. He got the new profile. I had him call Mary Hong, 
and they literally read the profile to each other over the phone. (laughs) And it was at that point that the East Area Rapist was identified as also being the original Night Stalker, as he was known down in Southern California, and 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 eventually was linked to 10 homicides down there across six cases. Four double homicides where couples were killed, and then two... Uh, two cases where single women had been bludgeoned to death in their bed. And it was that was in March of 2001. And at that point, uh, it was, well, this is Southern California's cases. You know, they got all the homicides. We have sexual assaults past statute of limitations up here in Northern California. And I cooperated with Orange County Sheriff's Office and the investigator Larry Poole down there and then literally pushed away and Mm -hmm. focused on other cases that I write about in the book uh, thinking Orange County's just it's just a matter of time this case is going to get solved Orange County's got this right and so in a lot of ways this book is also profiling the advances in law enforcement techniques and technology over the last 30 or so years. And we do see major changes. A lot of the advances in the Golden State Killer case and uh, other cases really do track with the advances in this genetics technology, other techniques. We see uh, agencies learning to work together uh, more and more as uh, time goes on. So it's, it's, it's a really interesting profile in how law enforcement work is done. Another interesting thing, though, is that for many stretches that you worked on this case, you weren't necessarily supposed to be working on this case. Talk a little bit about <laughs> the w- what was driving you to stay focused on this for so long, um, despite, yeah. you know, the uh, wishes of some of your superiors at various times uh, and and the challenges of working on a case that wasn't necessarily all of your day job. Yeah, you know, and and that's, you know, and, and looking back at my career, uh, you know, it's like, wow, I, I, you know, I, I really took a lot of risks that could have gotten me in trouble. Um, and, you know, I was, when I was working as a forensic scientist, uh, early on, um, you know, I really was an inve- a frustrated investigator. Mm. You know, I, uh, I, once I started doing crime scenes, uh, and being out in the field with the homicide guys, uh, and then going into the lab and thinking about the investigation and what I needed to do with, with forensics, you know, I just ended up gravitating towards, well, how can I help the investigation, you know, up and beyond just doing the lab work. And with the cold cases, I wasn't stepping on any active investigations toes. And, and, and quite frankly, at the time I started doing cold cases, there was nobody in Contra Costa County looking at these old cases. Yeah. So eventually I realized, you know, I need to go out and talk to people if I'm going to make a difference. Uh, and that's what I was doing is when I had downtime, I would slip out and and go do what I could do or even on my own personal time mm. I was uh, working these cases. Um, and then eventually, you know, as I promoted up, you know, I became a division commander with the sheriff's office over, overseeing forensic services division. Mm. And I was bored out of my skull. And, and that's uh, when I the looked at my The paper-pushing aspect wasn't really for you. A- absolutely. No, it's not. No, spreadsheets, memos, white papers, you know, uh, some of the political after-hour things. And, 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 and that just wasn't my thing. And that's when I looked back at those old East Area Rapist files, and this is now circa 2010, 
And I was like, oh, that case is still not solved. And There's I was even like, a scene in your book where you're staring down the filing cabinet and thinking, uh, <laughs> they told me not to, but it kept calling your name. And eventually you break down and start digging into those files again. I pursued my passion. I, I took risks. And, you know, obviously, you know, some of those risks uh, ultimately paid off. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. For anybody just joining us, this is KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Manconi. Today on the program, what does it take to catch a killer? And what price will be paid by those who do the catching? These are some of the questions explored by former investigator Paul Holes in his new memoir, Unmasked, My Life Solving America's Cold Cases. So let's jump ahead a little bit to the part where we get to the solving and talk about how this uh, ultimately was put away, because uh, a lot of these classical investigative techniques, you, you turned up a lot of names in the course of this investigation, but ultimately the, the guy that you zeroed in on, this uh, Joseph D'Angelo, really wasn't on anybody's radar, and it was uh, genetic testing and genealogical tools, genealogical databases that really made the difference here. Uh, I guess maybe a good place to start is... What tipped you off that this might be a fruitful avenue to go down? So in 2012, I had started pursuing genealogy using an older genealogy tool that's based on male's DNA, hoping to figure out our killer's surname and paternal family. And uh, had a couple of false starts, if you will, but nothing that panned out. And then I end up just again, you know, this this was this case was a, uh, a lot of hard work, a lot of persistence and also luck. I just fortuitously uh, had been involved in a 2002 homicide in which a live in boyfriend had killed his girlfriend, buried her under her house. And we always kind of referred it to as the, the kitty litter case because he had just dumped a bunch of kitty litter on her body to uh, prevent the smells. Um, 
And in that case, in his history, back in 1986, he had been arrested for abandoning a six-year-old girl down in Santa Cruz by the name of Lisa Jensen. And myself and the lead homicide investigator on that case, Roxanne Grunheide, we knew, you know, this Lisa Jensen was abducted from somewhere in the country. And we spent years trying to figure out who she really was with no luck using traditional law enforcement. Well, using this genetic genealogy tool, they were able to identify Lisa. And then when I asked Peter, well, how, who did, how did you do that? Well, I used a genetic genealogy genealogist at dnaadoption.com. And I was like, well, what do they do? And well, they identify biological parents of adoptees. So if you're adopted, you want to know, well, who, who am I related to? They had figured out a, a genealogy way using DNA testing in order to do that. And Barbara Ray Venter was the genealogist that had been used in that case. So I immediately leave that meeting. I get to my office and I call up Barbara and I asked her a very simple question. Could this technique be used to identify an unknown offender in a criminal case? And her response was, I see no reason why not. And she was actually working on identifying Lisa's abductor. And he ultimately was identified as Terry Rasmussen, who's I, I'm sure is a notorious uh, uh serial killer uh, that, ha that spans across the nation and even up into Canada. Uh, but it was at that point when I was like, I need to dig into this technology and having the forensic expertise, being a former DNA analyst, I start digging in. And, um, yeah. And just to highlight one detail that I found very interesting, uh, I think speaks to how new this technology is and uh, how much work went into making it work in this case. You mentioned in the book that you were watching YouTube videos to get up to speed on exactly how this genetic stuff works. <laughs> um, and uh, it seems like one of the major uh, hurdles to cross is, you know, it's one thing to match this old degraded DNA sample to uh, somebody who you have in the lab with you. It's another thing to get it into a form that's good enough that it can be used to find matches in a large and ancestry database. Uh, and so that was a, a major challenge. So we are talking about, you know, real technical challenges along with the uh, investigative challenges going hand in hand. Um, and I, I just want to jump to a scene because I, I, I imagine many of our listeners perhaps have, have heard a little bit about what went into this investigation. But just on the personal front for you personally, again, speaking with Paul Holes, you when when you thought that you knew who this was, Joseph D'Angelo, you actually went to his home and for a moment considered knocking on the door to try to get a DNA sample from him. Yeah. Uh, tell us about that moment and what kept you from going in. Yeah, you know, I, you know, literally the last day before I retired, I, I, for all my prime suspects in this case, I always wanted to see where they lived, you know, try to get eyeballs on them. And in this case, I, you know, I drove up, it was the afternoon, it was, a, I think it was a Monday afternoon, and I, I drove up to Citrus Heights and parked in front of his house. And I, I was in an unmarked vehicle, but I had a light bar that was in my, you know, the top of the windshield, as you see with these, you know, these, these four Tauruses that the sheriff's office were using at the time for, for their investigators and, and the DA's office. And uh, I'm, I'm looking, I knew he was home, but I didn't see him. And I started thinking about it because I, 
I had been here so many times before in terms of, oh, I've solved the case. I just need DNA and, mm. you know, and only to have the DNA eliminate the guy. And and that's what I was thinking about D'Angelo, because at this point, I wasn't convinced D'Angelo was a guy. He was just yeah. all of a sudden he, we were led to him based on uh, the genealogy. And then when I started digging into him, you know, calling up. Uh, his uh, most notably uh, his Auburn police chief who fired him back in 1979 and talking to him and he gave me some right. information it was like oh I gotta I gotta look at this guy um, so I'm sitting there and I'm looking at him going you know what what's the likelihood he's a Golden State killer and it's like it's 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 low and I'm about to retire so my thought process was you know I should just go knock on his door introduce myself say hey your name came up in this old investigation that I'm, I'm a part of uh, and knowing he was a former cop at that point maybe establish a rapport and say you got to understand you know if I can get your DNA sample we'll run it we'll eliminate you and nobody will ever bother you again but then I started thinking about everything I knew about him at that point. I said, oh, there's just there's just too much here. And that's when I just decided, yeah, that I don't want to blow this. You know, I, my thought was get his DNA, eliminate him. But then we would do further work and show that, oh, we're one step closer to solving the case. But I didn't want to blow it at the same time. So I literally put my my car into drive. I drove home. And that was the last thing I did as a Contra Costa County employee. In retrospect, uh, that was a very wise decision that I decided not to knock on his door. Right, because we found out that he, in fact, had an arsenal of uh, weapons, and uh, who knows what could have happened. Um, want to reintroduce you one last time. We only have a couple of minutes left in the program, but once again, we are speaking with Paul Holes. He is a retired cold case investigator for Contra Costa County. His new book, as we've been discussing, is Unmasked, My Life Solving America's Cold Cases, talking about his work helping to solve the Golden State Killer case. And there was a sense, it comes across in your book, uh, that when you retired, that this was your last shot to solve this case that you had been working on for years and years and years throughout your career. And there was this sense of uh, failure that you would let the people down who had relied on you to solve this case. So here's where I want to bring in the toll that this case took on you and others uh, who have worked on it. Um, what what did drive you? Uh, we've been talking about all the different hurdles that you had to jump through, the incredible amount of time. What did drive you to to work on this? And, and, and ultimately, what do you feel like the price you paid uh, for this case has been? Yeah, you know, what initially drove me was, you know, this was a fascinating case, you know, very early on. And um, it was a cold case and others had tried to solve it. And I just maybe it's my ego. I just thought, well, I think I can solve this. Uh, but then time kept passing on and on and on. Eventually, I am now meeting with and constantly communicating with some of the victims in the case uh, out of Northern California, out of the East Area Rapist uh, phase, as well as uh, some family members of loved ones who were killed by the original Night Stalker. And I personally experienced firsthand the trauma that these victims to this day were experiencing. And it instead of, you know, thinking, well, I can rise up to this challenge, it became an obligation. And it most certainly was mm -hmm. an obsession. Um, and, you know, ultimately, I think 
and it's not just this case, you know, the, the challenges of, of the Golden State Killer were extreme, um, but just the career of working, both going out to crime scenes uh, on cases like this and seeing the horrors that these victims uh, suffer, as well as just constantly pulling up old cases and going through the, the crime scene and autopsy photos and, and reliving what the victim experienced. And, you know, you're seeing the, the worst that people do to each other. You know, that's where I didn't realize that because I, you know, I was like, oh, I can handle this. This is this is what I do. But once I retired, you know, that's when I basically at one point after working a, a case in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, Carla Walker case, I just emotionally and psychologically cratered and I didn't understand what was going mm. on. And I saw a therapist uh, who, de- who deals yeah. with, you know, soldiers and, and law enforcement. And she said, you've been suffering trauma for basically, uh, you know, 30 years at this point in my life. And, you know, they're small little nicks. You know, they're not like an, a patrol officer involved in a deadly shooting. But these small little nicks add up and now you're bleeding out. And and so that's where, you know, part of this book and it, it almost is a primary mission of this book is to bring that to the forefront. It's not just those individuals that experience that acute trauma of a deadly shooting or being in war, but it's other individuals and other occupations. And of course, I'm talking about law enforcement that there, when you were dealing with this type of horror repeatedly, it adds up and we need to recognize that. And law enforcement, of course, is historically been a very alpha male testosterone driven type of mentality where if you show weakness, you're ostracized. You know, law enforcement management now needs to be proactive in addressing, you know, this type of trauma. It's not just the, the you know, patrol officers. Uh, it's everybody within law enforcement with the cases that they're working. And that's really, I think, fundamental to my book, Unmasked. Is it, it, it's not only unmasking Joseph D'Angelo as a Golden State killer. I'm unmasking myself yeah. and what sacrifices I made as a person uh, in order to do this type of career. Yeah. Well, it's an important message to leave on and uh, also obviously a very uh, interesting story that you've laid out. Uh, we have been speaking one last time to Paul Holes. He is a retired cold case investigator for Contra Costa County, and his new book, as he just mentioned, is Unmasked, My Life Solving America's Cold Cases. Paul Holes, thanks so much. Thank you very much. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In Depth, I'm Keith Benconi. Stay safe, be well. We'll see you next week. been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 
Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.